Father, we thank you again for the day you've given to us, and we, you've promised that if we ask for your Holy Spirit that he will be given to us. And you said if we lack wisdom, we may ask of you, and you give to all people. And um, we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All righty. Uh, we're going to be looking at chapter 4 of Daniel. This is the conversion. We're going to go through the confer- conversion experience of, uh, of Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, as you're well aware that he built Babylon, it was one of the greatest cities in the ancient world. It was unconquerable. It had, uh, it had two walls surrounding it. And they had a, a moat also. Uh, they had enough food in that, uh, in the city itself, to last for about 20 years. And had it not been for God, and it's 70 years later after this, had it not yeah. been for God, uh, it, it, would not have, uh, it would not have fallen. But God pro- prophesied 150 years before that, that uh, Cyrus, by name, would be the one who would conquer it. And we, we may look at that next, uh, next time, tomorrow. But um, this one was Babylon. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar is credited with building it. It had been built before, but he, uh, he uh, was the one that made it extremely popular in the world in his day. And even to this day, when people talk about Babylon, uh, they, th- they think of, uh, of him. Um, this is one of the, one of the, on one of the bricks, and I think I have it later on. He says, this is the great city, which is the delight of my eyes, which I have glorified, May it last forever. Uh, it used to be there was no re- there was no record in secular history of uh, Nebuchadnezzar nor his grandson uh, Belshazzar, and uh, and I had no use for archaeology whatsoever. I thought they just went over with a toothpick and a, a, br- a toothbrush and and get get the sand away and then pick up some of these artifacts. And I listened to Doctor Horn, who was a he was a Seventh-day Adventist, one of the leading biblical uh, archaeologists in the world. And when I listened to him, he was telling us about the book of Daniel. And he said uh, in the 1800s and even into the 1900s, the book of da- uh, Daniel was considered not a prophecy because there was no evidence, uh, no sec- secular history uh, for these two men. And uh, then in, in, the cha- in chapter, uh, chapter 3, there are musical instruments that are listed, and they're in Greek. And they said at this time, uh, in the time of, uh, of uh, Nebuchadnezzar and these, uh, th- there were no Greeks over there, because Greek was, really didn't exist. It was a very small colony. But the archaeologists were digging around in the palace, in the kitchen of all places, and they found clay tablets with grocery lists on it, <laughs> written in Greek. <laughs> And so that gave evidence that, uh, that there were Greeks there at that time. And I went on an archaeological dig after that. <laughs> and uh, we were, it was in Jordan, and we were invited by the king to a party. And it was a, uh, they had a feed and a dance and uh, drinking and that sort of thing. And there were non-Adventists as well as Adventists in the group. And I think one, tuple, one couple got up and danced. And the rest of us, we were dead in, our, in their seats. <laughs> and these guys were really wise because as soon as they had the one song, they stopped for intermission. And that was for us to get out of there, <laughs> which we did. <laughs> but uh, it was interesting. These men, it was a band of Greeks, of roving group, Greek, Greeks who were, went through the countryside of the Middle East 
playing for dances and concerts and things like this. And I think it was much like it was in the days of, of, the, of the Babylonians. So it gave evidence that they, uh, I mean, not, not necessarily these musical people, but the, the handwriting in the, in the kitchen uh, was evidence that there. Then another one was Nebuchadnezzar's name was never in uh, secular history until the archaeologists started turning over bricks. And on the backside of every brick, his name was stamped. <laughs> and so that gave secular information that there was a man by this way, by this name. Yeah. Possibly that's why he said, I delight uh, my eyes, which I have glorified. It sounds like he's pretty proud. Oh, very much so. Very e so big eagle. Yeah. Very yeah. But he was converted, and that's the good news. And we'll, we'll be looking at that as we get into this more. Uh, you're probably familiar with this man who used to exist. Do uh, you know who he, who he modeled himself after? Yeah. Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar, yes. He had, in fact, here's one of the pictures that he had uh, painted, and he's facing Nebuchadnezzar. And it's interesting that he's got the, the tree, and I don't know if it's the same kind of tree or not, <laughs> but that was, there was a tree in chapter 4 showing the downfall of uh, Nebuchadnezzar and his conversion then later on. But uh, here, there's another one here. This is a very interesting one, especially this one over here. You've got him, this is Hussein in a chariot as, uh, from the era of uh, Babylon and showing an arrow, but he's got his other <laughs> modern-day <laughs> armament. <laughs> but this is, uh, this is uh, he, he, he modeled himself. He thought he was the new Nebuchadnezzar, and his idea was the same, to rule the world. And, uh, I was thinking he was trying to rebuild them at Babylon. He was. Did he get it built? No. <laughs> Why not? I mean, he, he had all the resources. He had, huh? Prophecy, okay. God said it will not be rebuilt, and, and man would not dwell there. And uh, so he was actually going against the word of God. And, uh, and of course, he, uh, th this is another picture of a little larger one of that same, same one. Here uh, we see people um, digging, and they did build a wall. Um, and uh, then I think the next one shows, yeah, um, it, it came to naught. They just... Uh, Pardon me? Oh, oh, yeah. Let's see. There's there one there's one there's one there and one and there's one way in the back to a chair back there and then there's one over there. Okay. Um, so this, uh, this this is the ruins of the palace of Nebuchadnezzar. It has never been rebuilt. Never will be. Now men may start, but it will not be finished. And. Let me go back. Yeah, this is uh, now. This one is yeah. Yeah, this is part of the old. Uh, this is part of the old. Both sides. Yeah, I think the military came in. They had a lot of their military in this. Uh, I believe it was this area. You know, uh, American soldiers were there for quite some time, and uh, uh, there was a palace that was built outside the the boundary of uh, old Babylon. And it was it was a palace built by uh, Nebuchadnezzar, but. Uh, uh, I don't think that one was destroyed, but uh, everything else uh, completely fell away. Oop, wrong, wrong one here. Um, what did I do with my button? Here it is. Um, yeah, the ruins of the palace. In Time magazine, uh, you mentioned Iraq was on the march, and then here was a. Oh, he, he was. He wanted to become the master of the universe, and um, he was a dictator like. Uh, 
uh, uh, like uh, Nebuchadnezzar. And it says Saddam himself had a photograph not long ago in a replica of the war chariot of Nebuchadnezzar. That's what we saw a little bit ago. And uh, uh, Saddam apparently reveres uh, Nebuchadnezzar as his hero. Uh, despite a bout of insanity, which is recounted in the book of Daniel, Nebuchadnezzar made his name in history by destroying Jerusalem in 587 B.C. and driving its inhabitants into 70 years of captivity. It is a fair warning, because <laughs> this is what they thought maybe Hussein was going to do. But you remember where they found him? In the backyard of a hole that some of his subjects had covered it up so that they couldn't find him, but they finally, finally found him. And then later on he was executed uh, for the crimes that he had done against his own people. All right, coming back to Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon, uh, this is a picture of uh, one of the gates uh, going, this is the main gate going into the city itself. Uh, here is, this is one of the st uh, stones or bricks that they found. Is this not great Babylon that I have built? And uh, there's several stones, uh, bricks that like that. And may it last forever. Uh, clay tablet in which um, an inscription by Nebuchadnezzar says, The excellency of the kingdom may it last forever. Um, a beautiful city. It was, uh, this is the Ishtar Gate. In, uh, this is in um, uh, the Berlin Museum. And uh, it's the half, half size. But notice they see the man here. This is only half, half, half the height as it usually was. It was so high, it would have gone off the picture itself. Uh, but it was, a, it was a tremendous city. And this is where all the processions went in and out uh, uh, at that time. And the main gate leading into the city. Um, and then Marduk is on the other, on the other end. Let me see. Oh, you've probably seen the pictures of, of the bulls and the different uh, nondescript uh, beasts. Daniel, these are familiar to Daniel. That's why he, he used some of these animals in chapter 7 uh, that people would have been familiar with. But this, this is, uh, the, the wall is really beautiful, the blue, the blue uh, brick. I could imagine when a person was coming into the city from a long way off, the sun shining on that uh, brick. It was almost like enamel, but it was, uh, it was fired, uh, fired bricks uh, that, uh, that they used. Is that what? Is that replica or actual? I mean, no, it's an actual. Uh, well, let's see. They had no. That was a replica that they have. They did have some of these um, these figures um, yeah, in the museum, and they had parts of the walls there, and it was huge. Yeah, yeah. Um, the hanging gardens of uh, gardens of Babylon. This was built for his wife. She was evidently a Persian, or at least from the east somewhere where there was mountains and water and, and a lot of flowers and things of this nature. And she was homesick. <laughs> they were out in the desert. <laughs> and so Nebuchadnezzar built this. This was, became known as the, one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. And it must have been a, really a delight to, to see and to walk in. Um, this is the temple of Marduk in the back. And uh, here is the temple of Marduk was 300 feet high. And outside of it was covered with blue glazed tile. Inside it was overlaid with gold. The altar and the throne were made of eight and one half tons of solid gold. So this tells us of the, the finances he had available. 
um, again, this is this one. I translated this. Actually, I I don't know I don't know uh, Aramaic, but uh, I knew I found some of the symbols, and so I had it translated, and to put it like Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, provider or patron of the temple, Esagilia, uh, uh, and the temple of Ezida, firstborn son of Nabopolassar, his father. So, and that was on that. On that stone, and uh, pardon me. Ever uh, take that figure uh, at today's prices, uh, eight and a half tons of gold? I did it one time. I got out the figure at twelve hundred dollars an ounce. At twelve hundred, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was the richest. It was the richest uh, nation or city. Well, it was a city-state in the in the world at that time, or that that we know of. And uh, much of that, uh, much of the gold had been lost. And uh, but uh, but it was extremely um, uh, they were extremely wealthy. This is a letter on a stone that was dug up also from Nebuchadnezzar, and they discovered this tablet, and uh, he describes the wealth and the splendor of Babylon. He says that the whole earth bowed prostrate at the feet of Babylon, and of course it would be he himself because he was a king. And um, he actually said that. Yes. Uh huh. Yeah. Yes. The whole world. Yeah. 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 Uh, the tablet letter would uh, would not have been unlike the government document that Nebuchadnezzar wrote concerning his conversion experience, as copied by Daniel in chapter four. Now it wasn't identical, but in chapter four, his attitude had been completely changed, and it was a testimony of the power of God to change him. Um, uh, and Daniel four is a public document that went to the entire Babylonian Empire. In this document, Nebuchadnezzar gives his own account in detail of the experiences that resulted in his conversion. And we'll get into that as, uh, as we go on here. Um, but the gospel of the kingdom of God was publicly proclaimed by a converted, born-again Babylonian king. <laughs> I, I uh, did a series, it was almost like this, not quite, in a church that I had a few years ago and there was a, one of the ladies, she was a saint as far as I could see, really a wonderful woman. She did a lot of work, but she came to me after, after, sometime after I presented this, uh, this chapter, the, the conversion of Nebuchadnezzar, and she thanked me and she said, you know, I experienced a real conversion <laughs> during that series. And, uh, but, uh, but it surprised me because she was really a good woman. But it shows that sometimes we can be very good <laughs> and still not really have a conversion experience. But, and we need to be uh, converted every day. It's not, not once in a lifetime. But, uh, <clears throat> but anyhow, so the question, uh, it was this, I pondered this, this uh, question for some time and I thought of Nebuchadnezzar that he's the greatest example of the work of justification by faith. Ellen White asked the question, what is justification by faith? It is the work of God in laying the glory of man in the dust and doing for man that which it is not in his power to do for himself. And this fits Nebuchadnezzar to a T, and probably all of us to a certain degree. I remember, you know, I was not raised an Adventist. I became an Adventist. I surrendered everything I had and everything I was to Christ. I, as far as I know, nothing was, uh, was uh, left aside. A few years later, the Lord was impressing me that I needed to surrender to him again. And I fought him. I said, God, I'm a Seventh-day Adventist. Isn't that enough? <laughs> no. 
And finally, like a pouting child, I said, okay, God, I'll surrender it again. And immediately I had peace that I hadn't had for quite some time. But I didn't understand. I was thinking in terms that conversion was like, uh, you know, the once saved, always saved con uh, uh, concept. That once you're converted, you're always converted. You know? And that, well, there should be growth in that. Even Peter, you know, God says, or Christ said, uh, when you're converted, actually it can be translated when you're reconverted. Uh, strengthen the brethren, you know, that type of thing. So, but conversion is, a, is an ongoing uh, process um, that uh, God wants to, wants to work in our lives. Now, the work of the Holy Spirit, we're familiar with this uh, verse in John, where uh, <clears throat> the, first, the first work of the Holy Spirit is convict of sin. Then secondly, he convicts us of righteousness. And then thirdly, of judgment. And all three of these were brought to bear on Nebuchadnezzar. Remember yesterday we looked at several passages that uh, Nebuchadnezzar said, I know that the Spirit of God dwells within you. <laughs> and it, several times in verse 4. And then uh, Belshazzar in chapter 5 did the same thing. Uh, he said, I, I've, I've been told that the Spirit of God uh, dwells within you. So many times uh, this, uh, this is found. But uh, we see this in, um, with Nebuchadnezzar. He'd been convicted of sin and then of righteousness, and then of judgment. And God, was, God threatened him with judgment, but not to, uh, not to scare him. But it was a year after uh, Daniel gave the interpretation of that dream. God gave a period of grace for Nebuchadnezzar that he might be converted, or that he might submit to Christ. And at the end of the time, he still hadn't done it, and so God uh, cut off his kingdom, and uh, he became a vegetarian for seven years. Now, in chapter 4, verse 13, um, here we have uh, a picture of the, uh, the watcher. And um, he said, I saw in the, in the visions of my, in my head while on my bed, and there was a watcher, a holy one coming down from heaven. And two or three times it mentioned this holy watcher. And this has to be the Godhead, one either Christ or the Holy Spirit uh, that he saw in this vision. And, uh, and, and this is from a, a dictionary. It's a supernatural being with similar functions as an angel, but also distinct from them. And when I read that, I thought of Michael. Uh, in fact, uh, Pastor Bohr has been talking about uh, Michael. Michael the Archangel. He, there, he was similar. It looked like an angel and sometimes as a human being, but still distinct from them because he was the Son of God. He was God. And, uh, and, the, and I think this is the situation there in chapter 4. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar, who he was, from, uh, I think I mentioned the historical record. There's, here's some more. He reigned for 43 years, and uh, evidently this, uh, this uh, experience that he had of conversion took place at the end of his, uh, the end of his life, not, certainly not at the beginning. Um, and here we have, uh, we have the accession year, and that was 605 and 604. Uh, he was in, uh, he'd been fighting with the uh, Egyptians at this time, and he went to Jerusalem to capture it at that time. And uh, it was during, while he was in the battlefront, his dad died, and he made it, made it across the desert. Usually there's two ways of the, of the desert. Uh, path, pathways of the desert. One goes up and around where you miss most of the desert. And then there's one that goes straight across. He took the one straight across. It would have been a, an extremely hard 
ride, but they, he knew he had to get there and, and, and keep, his, uh, uh, keep the kingdom under the family name. And so then chapter 2, you have this, his second uh, reign. Oh, this is when he was um, um, a, a king. And then chapter, I took this one uh, from the uh, Septuagint. This shows 18 years be between uh, Daniel 2 and Daniel 3. And I think, I think this is accurate, uh, at least to a degree. In chapter 1, uh, Daniel and the other three Hebrews are called children. In chapter 3, they're called men. <laughs> and they were, uh, if you figure this, now Daniel went into captivity, captivity about six, he was only 16 or 17 years old. He was in the University of Babylon for three years. And at the end of the three years, when the king examined him, uh, he was almost as wise as the wise men. No. <laughs> what? Ten times wiser. Now, this had to have been even his instructors, I'm sure. I met one man, one student one time, uh, going to university, and he actually had more, more uh, understanding and wisdom and knowledge than his teachers. It was amazing. It just uh, he was in the, in science, and he, I think he was a genius. He had some um, social problems, but as far as brilliancy, he, it was amazing. Uh, and the and the teachers respected him because he just it was it was natural for him to grasp some of these things in in science. But anyhow, so um, then in the thirty seventh year uh, is when he died, and uh, or, or uh, no, I'm, I'm sorry. I think this is uh, oh, from the Chronicles of Ezra. This is an Adventist uh, publication that um, uh, gave some of this information. But it was in the 43rd year that he died uh, in October of that year. And so it was in, uh, somewhere in here, just before he died, I, I think maybe seven years or a little before that, uh, uh, when he had this, uh, this experience. But God had been working with him all through the uh, years. Um, now, he was an idolater by birth and by training. He was an evangelist, Babylonian evangelist, very ambitious, uh, proud-spirited, a passionate builder. He loved to build. Um, he had an innate sense of justice and right, even though he was a dictator. He was a, a wise ruler. Uh, strong tendency to psychosis. And I believe this is what God was trying to keep him from. One of the things that would have happened, had he, had he submitted to Christ, he wouldn't have got, would not have gone insane, I'm reasonably sure. Um, but this is a derangement of, uh, of his mind. And uh, some have said this is, a, um, of, he had a delusion of being a wild animal. And um, like a wolf, I think I've got another one that's, uh, a little different disease, but it's, uh, same, it's a mental disorder in which the person imagines that he's a wolf. Uh, and this fits the thing probably better than anything else. But he was, he was prone to uh, severe mental disorder and uh, uh, derangement of personality, a loss of contact with reality at times. And, uh, but it became, it, he began to decay in uh, social functioning and that type of thing. Now, I want to uh, ask a question. The mind, uh, wine and anger, and one other is doctrine. Have you ever tried to reason with someone who was drunk? It's impossible to do that. Impossible, okay. 
How about if someone gets angry? Same thing. Have you ever talked to anyone who's drunk on the wine of Babylon? These three, these three affect the brain in the same way. The frontal lobe, it blocks, blocks off uh, communication. God, God communicates with us with the fine nerves in the forefront of the brain. And <clears throat> anger, alcohol, and uh, false doctrine block out the thinking processes to, to see things clearly. Even if you study with them, whether they're drunk. Now, sometimes a person that's drunk can be converted <laughs> in the drunkenness even. Uh, but it takes a miracle of God. There's some guys on drugs that God will, uh, will zap and, will, and they'll be converted. Same thing with false doctrine. But usually, without God's intervention, uh, you cannot reason with these people. It's an impossibility. And in the last days, what are people going to be drunk with? False doctrine. False doctrine. Yeah. This is, uh, in fact, I think we're seeing perhaps some of that even today. Uh, but anyhow, with habitual use, anger, alcohol, and false doctrine, each affect the brain in a similar manner. Clear thinking is impossible. Confusion results. The mystery of God cannot be understood nor appreciated. The conversion of Nebuchadnezzar. We'll get into that now. Chapter 1, he was impressed with what he saw with the, with the uh, uh, Hebrew children. And chapter 2, he was convinced and then and we'll look we'll go into more detail as as we go on. Chapter three, he was convicted that he was wrong and that they were right. That was when they threw them into the fiery furnace. Chapter four, he was finally converted. But these are steps in his conversion. <clears throat> and uh, chapter one, he was a general of the armies, probably one of the the leading general in the world at the time. He was an evangelist. Now, how in the world would you say he's an evangelist? Let's go back and look at this. Um, do you remember what he did with the with the names of the um, oh, yeah. uh, yes in verse 7 to them the chief of the eunuchs gave names he gave Daniel the name Belshazzar to Ananiah Shadrach to Mishael Meshach and to Azariah Abednego which ones do we remember them by Use the Babylonian names, except for Daniel. Uh, but, uh, but this was a method, in the chapter 4 also, I believe it is, where he said, uh, O Belteshazzar, uh, named after my God. He did this for the purpose of, of uh, becoming, they got associated with the name of, their, of his God, and he was hoping that they would be converted this way. So this was an evangelism method that, that uh, the Babylonians used at that time. Uh, now, he was an educator, uh, 18 through 20 of uh, chapter 2, uh, chapter 1, I'm sorry. That's where he found the children of Israel, these four, ten times better than all the rest. Now, he had to have been a very uh, astute man, although he was uh, uh, superstitious, yet when he asked the questions, this was an oral examination, evidently, uh, he found them ten times wiser than all the wise men in Babylon. And this is credited for two, two, two reasons. One, uh, he came through the school of the prophets. It was still in existence uh, before he was taken into captivity. It was probably destroyed about that time. But secondly, and probably most importantly, is the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God instructed him, and, uh, and he was able to communicate the things of heaven to, uh, to a pagan. Uh, 
Then in chapter, uh, oh, in chapter one again, he was uh, met, he was in, in, uh, impressed with the human edu Hebrew education, their health also, <clears throat> principles of diet. They should have died <clears throat> when they started to buck the system. Babylon had the best diet <laughs> in the world at that time, so they thought. And here you have these three teenagers coming along, and but you notice how pol polite uh, they were. They, they didn't demand their rights because they didn't have any. They were slaves. And uh, so they, Daniel said, just give us a test, 10 days. Well, uh, I believe today there are health, health reformers or teachers that are doing a 10-day uh, diet. And evidently there's some things that helps, helps people with that. But I think there was a supernatural element here too where God blessed them abundantly. And uh, they looked much more healthy than others. By the way, I think I asked this the other day. Were there other Hebrews in that group? Yes. Yeah. How come they're not named? Because they conformed to the... They turned away, yeah. They, they drank the wine of Babylon, literally and figuratively. And they evidently ate some of the pork chops, because pork was a major, uh, major feast at that time. And so we, we don't hear anymore. Hopefully some of them would have been reconverted somewhere along the line, but we're not told, uh, told about that. They essentially just became Babylonians. What? They said they essentially just became Babylonians. Yeah, yes. Uh -huh. Probably were Babylonian at heart before, and God <laughs> says, well, we'll just move you over to, to the physical uh, place, yes. Is that not symbolic of us today, of, the, of what's going to happen within the Adventist church, the majority will turn away, and it would be the small remnant? Yeah, it, it could. The majority will forsake uh, the principles of, of what we have. Uh, what? Yeah, the, the shaking. Uh, um, the um, now, were there any converted uh, Jews in Babylon? Huh? What say? Yes. Yeah. Was there a pro Was was a hand back here? Oh, oh, I'm sorry. Let's see. Um, there's there's a couple of chairs there. There's one here. And there's one way. Oh, hey, the people from Canada are here. Good to see you. <laughs> there's a there's a chair way back there. Okay, all right, good. Um, the where were we? <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Uh, there was a prophet among the Babylonians that were in captivity. Do you remember his name? Ezekiel. Ezekiel was with the with the main body of the Jews. Daniel, I'm sure there was communication between Daniel and the people, and especially with, uh, with Ezekiel, but his function was primarily uh, in, um, in the office of the Babylonian administration. And, uh, uh, and, but these were some of the things that, that uh, Nebuchadnezzar was, uh, was uh, impressed with. Uh, <clears throat> when we get to chapter 2, we see what's uh, going on inside the king. He saw this dream of this great image, and he, was, he didn't know what it was, he, he kept, but it looks like it was a recurring dream, maybe every night, over and over again, and it really bothered him. He knew there was something, but he just he couldn't figure it out, he didn't know what it was, so he called all of his wise men in. Now, was this unreasonable for him to call the wise men in, to give him an interpretation? No. Why not? That was their job. <laughs> okay, that was their job. They professed. To have communication with the dead, that was one of the, the necromancers. Uh, they also had uh, visions. 
And, but it was the devil that was giving the divisions. In fact, I mentioned the other day that I asked the question, uh, can the devil read our minds? And I think we came to the conclusion that he cannot. Because if he could have read the mind of Nebuchadnezzar even in a dream, he would have given the information to his henchmen. But he couldn't do it. So, uh, uh, but anyhow, he was in a turmoil. And he was anxious. He had a troubled heart. He became suspicious and unreasonable. <laughs> when these men confess, now there, there are two things they confess. They confess that the educational system of Babylon was not what it was purported to be. And, well, secondly, the, the health principles were not the best. And their office was false. And when this dawned on Nebuchadnezzar, he became absolutely furious. He said, all the wise men are going to die because they've been pulling the wool over my eyes. And so they, I believe they executed a few. And they came to Daniel. Remember what he said? Yeah, why are you so hasty? Give us some time. There's a God in heaven who will, uh, will reveal this to us. And sure enough, they said, okay, you, we'll, give, we'll give you some time. And, uh, and God certainly did uh, uh, reveal what was going on. But he was irrational. And, um, and then we see that the, uh, he was a tyrant at heart. And this uh, began to come out as a dictator. Uh, he was a slave to his own passions. So here, uh, he became convinced, however, of superior principles, superior insights, the Spirit of God working in uh, Daniel especially, and a superior character. Let's drop down to verses 46 and 47. This is when, when um, um, he, uh, 46, he says, The king Nebuchadnezzar fell on his face. This was after Daniel revealed what was going on. And uh, he was convinced that it was true because he gave the dream. And then he believed the interpretation that Daniel gave him. And it says, he fell on his face, prostrate before Daniel, commanded that they should present an offering and incense to him. The king answered Daniel and said, Truly, your God is the God of gods, the Lord of lords, and a revealer of secrets or mysteries that we talked about the other day, since you could reveal this secret or this mystery. Uh, then the next verse, he promoted Daniel. Daniel declined part of it, and uh, he said, give it to the other three. <laughs> they, became, they all became administrators of some kind. But um, in this, now, was Nebuchadnezzar right when he commanded the people to, uh, to worship? <laughs> Same principle of force is seen uh, with him. So he had not been completely changed. He was changed a little bit. He was deeply impressed with what was going on. And so, well, I'm, okay, I'm going for this God. I'm going to protect this God. <laughs> and uh, in fact, he did that in chapter 3 again. Uh, Pardon me? Yes. Yeah. There is uh, similarities to the Sunday law, how it's going to be impressed upon people to follow it, to bow down to Okay. occurs to me in the statutes, the same kind of idea. In chapter 3. Yeah. yeah. In, in our modern day, in the Sunday law, how it's going to come about, you know, you're going to be you know, persuaded. First, there, he just used force. Yeah. It's going to be persuasion with money and everything else, then force. Yeah. 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 What we're going to see here, and I think we uh, discussed this a little bit the other day yeah. uh, force by the law of man, yeah. faith by Jesus Christ. Right. And those will be the conflicts. And you find that in chapter 3, you see it in chapter uh, 6 with Dan, uh, Daniel going to the lion's den. 
these are these are major issues, uh, principles that we will be seeing uh, in our own time. I believe in our own time. Chapter three. Then this is uh, Daniel or uh, Nebuchadnezzar. And this is why I was thinking that probably uh, about 18 years he'd been thinking about this, mulling these things over in his mind, and he fully rejected the mystery of God that was given to him in chapter two. And he decided to build a counterfeit. He hardened his heart. He exalted himself. And uh, here's the Babylonian evangelism methods. If uh, in verses two, uh, this is chapter three, uh, two and three, the king uh, sent word to gather together the satraps, the administrators, governors, counselors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image which King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Now, note it starts. It's uh, it was merely a dedication. And so all of them came together, and uh, the satraps, the administrators, the governors, the councilors, the treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the officials gathered together for the dedication of the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and they stood before the image that he had made or set up. Then a, a herald cried aloud, To you it is commanded, O people, nations, and languages, that at the time you hear the sound of the harp, or the horn rather, the flute, the harp, the lyre, the psaltery, in sympathy with all kinds of music, you shall fall down and worship the gold image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Now, we know that there were three men standing. We know there were more than three men that were standing, <laughs> that were not bowed down. Or maybe they were bowed down, but their eyes were wide open. Now, how do we know that? They saw the three that did not bow down. <laughs> so they were guilty of the very thing they were accusing the Hebrews of. Uh, they, they were not worshiping as they should have. But they, they talked to Nebuchadnezzar about this man. And so, uh, oh, uh, verses, yeah, verses 2 and 3. So here was incentive to worship. Uh, and then uh, he begins to defy God when, uh, when they came. Um, let's see. In verse uh, 13, Nebuchadnezzar, well, this was after the three refused to bow down, after they'd been given a chance. And uh, 13, Nebuchadnezzar was in a rage and in fury. He gave the command to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So they brought the men before him. Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying to them, Is it true uh, that you do, uh, do not serve my gods or worship the gold image which I have set up? Then he gives them a chance, verse 15. If you are ready at the time, uh, you hear the, the sound of the music, um, you fall down and worship the image which I have made. Good. But if you do not worship, you shall be cast immediately into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. And who is that God who will deliver you from my hands? Now, he should have known better <laughs> because God had been doing this. Yes. Yeah, absolutely, yes. We'll stick out like a sore thumb. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It has to be cut off. <laughs> and that's what they were saying about these, these three Hebrews. They just could not stand to have them. And give us a chance, really, is... I'm going to take this uh, off. The, give us a chance when you send her under the Sunday law of trying to bribe us first. You know, yeah. We're, we're going to look at the, the principles of, um, of motivation that the, this Babylonian... Um, in fact, 
well, two through six is first by encouragement, bribery, and when that doesn't work, then the ax comes down. Yeah. But, but it's the hope of reward or the fear of punishment. When that, I first read that, I thought it was just the ax right away. Yeah, no, no, no. He, he, he really liked these young men. There's yeah. no doubt about it. He respected them highly. But when it came to the relationship uh, between worshiping his gods or the God of heaven, then he, he would not stand for any compromise whatsoever. And uh, Well, he would have stood for the compromise for them to come his way, but he was not going to compromise uh, his Babylonian principles. So he defied God and uh, built a... Uh, now, why would, why would he do the whole thing in gold? Now, there probably, this was to tons of gold also, as it was with the... Okay, Daniel said, "You are the head of the gold. <laughs> you know, I'm more than the head. I'm the whole. I'm the whole image." And so he he built the whole thing. And this is total define definement. Uh, uh, oh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, but here, uh, verses six and fifteen. These are the ba Babylonian methods. Uh, hope of reward and uh, fear of punishment. Uh, yeah, six. Did we read six before? And, oh no! Whoever who, whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast immediately into the midst of the fiery burning uh, furnace. Um, I've heard I've heard preachers say that if you do not accept this, you're going straight to hell. <laughs> so it's very similar to uh, uh, the Babylonian uh, concept. It, it is the Babylonian concept. Then verse fifteen. Here he gives them a chance. If you're ready, when you hear the sound of the music, and if you bow down, things will be all right. So he has incentive. You have uh, negatives and positives. And uh, this is the way Babylon uh, works. Um, what is, uh, what's the method of, of heaven? Is it fear? Do we scare people? Love is the government of heaven. Okay, the response, yeah, choice, but based on... Uh, a love, uh, knowing that God loves you, and that you respond in kind to Him and to other people, and that's the that's the motivation that God wants, and we're we're all learning that day by day. Uh, but th this, these are the two main uh, motivations that comes out of Babylon, that come out of Babylon, and they're with us today. Have you ever been? I'm not. That's too close. Have we in the church sometimes have we used these methods? They creep on in. They creep. Yes, and, and maybe we can apply it to ourselves. Sometimes we we do it ourselves. You know, either family members or church members or or even uh, Babylonians. We use their own tools sometimes to um, make them ju jump in. And then as as Nebuchadnezzar, uh, we talked about this the other day. So it was so hot that the soldiers, and these were big, tough men, uh, they died as soon as they opened the doors of that uh, blast furnace. They, were, they, they died immediately. These three were put in, and then Nebuchadnezzar was astonished. He said, didn't we just put three in? <laughs> yes. He said, I see four. And who is the fourth? Looks like the Son of God. He knew uh, who that fourth person was. When they came out of that flame, uh, not a smell of smoke, no, their hair was not singed, nothing was, was uh, happened to them. But they remained in the fire until the king called them out. He put them in, so uh, he, they waited till he called them out. 
All right, so here we go, uh, principles in, in conflict. Principles of heaven and the principles of Babylon. Um, in heaven, or of heaven, you have liberty of conscience, kindness, cooperation, faith, loyalty, temperance, love, and obedience. These are all manifested in the lives of, of these Hebrews. And you have the principles of Babylon that were in conflict with that. Force, fear, self-indulgence, pride, tyranny, compromise, unbelief, distrust, and then a mingling of good and evil, a mingling of truth and error. It's not solid error. Um, it's, not, um, uh, it's not all evil. There's much good, much, uh, some things that are very attractive in Babylonian worship. But it's used to bring a person from truth to error, and that's where the danger lies. Uh, I, have, I was raised, uh, uh, I think there was other people in here raised as a Catholic. <clears throat> I wanted to be a priest when I was a boy. And uh, as a boy, I remember one time we were sitting on the front porch of our home, and some of those kids were bragging about what we were going to be when we got big. <laughs> and I said, oh, I'm going to be a priest. My mother was listening. She came out, I never want to hear you here say that again. <laughs> <laughs> and I couldn't fully understand what she was talking about at that time. Now, now I do, but um, uh, but there were there's there were things that that I was attracted to. Uh, I think the, the mu music in a Catholic church is beautiful. Usually, if you're in a cathedral or something like that, it just they build these things so that the acoustics are outstanding. You don't even have to have a, a speaker, loudspeakers. They do that now, but uh, but they're built for acoustics. And I remember one time, yes. You could go ahead and finish, and then I'll, All right. I'll uh, ask I used to go into cathedrals if I were in a town. I remember one time I was in Omaha. I was working in Omaha. And I would go to the cathedral several times because I really enjoyed walk, just walking the walls. Huh? Huge. Huge, yes. And the thought came to me, you can have all this if you'll come back. <laughs> <laughs> that was not Christ's wish for me to. I got out. I've never been back in again. Well, I've been in some in Europe, but uh, the the enemy was trying to entice me to uh, to give up what I what God had given to me, and go back to that. Uh, and uh, but I I decided I didn't want to go that route. Yes. My my question is, I as I read that, God sometimes does use force. How does He do it? Well, uh, Ananias and Sapphira. Okay. Uh, he, they were killed instantly. Why were they killed instantly? That you would think that that was boy, he's tough. But yeah. what? How did it affect other people that would have been? Yeah. And then uh, who was it? The the one I can't think the name right offhand that uh, rebelled with the out in the wilderness and the earth uh, oh. swallowed them up. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, because but, yeah. it was a strange fire. But. So, doesn't God sometimes like that? Well, would it be force or would it be a judgment? There's a. Well, you know, it depends how you look at it. Okay, yeah, yeah. Um, there is judgment. He, he pronounced judgment on, uh, on, Belshe on uh, Nebuchadnezzar. Right. But it, he gave him grace for a year. And I would say it was Ananias and Sapphira, they, uh, directly, they lied directly to the Holy Spirit. And they knew exactly what they were doing. Yeah, yeah. And many times you'll find a judgment will come at the beginning of a movement. Um, but it's, uh, it is a, it's a warning for, for everyone. For but, others to see. But, but I would say rather than force, I think it would say it was a, a pronounced judgment. Pardon me? It was an act of love because 
Yeah, for the whole for the whole group. Yes. Why do you think your mother said what she did to you? She knew what was going on. She she knew she, that the priesthood was corrupted. Yes. Corrupt? Yeah. Now we had some wonderful priests. I, I remember one man. He was uh, Protestants loved him. I mean, he was he was an alcoholic. But I remember he used to wear a hat, and whenever he saw a woman on the street, he'd tip his hat. He, he was, I mean, he was always courteous, always courteous. And, um, but why was he an alcoholic? Probably addicted to it. Can't yeah, but why? Mass. Mass, they, drank. they drank wine, <coughs> especially at Mass, every day, <clears throat> and sometimes it wasn't very much. But habitually, uh, and if you go on Sunday, you can't eat. At that. Well, I think now you can, maybe an hour before Mass. But at that time, you could not, uh, you had to stop eating at, at midnight. And so you got six or seven hours on an empty stomach. And so drinking wine, um, it just, uh, they have many places where they send these men to get them off the uh, addiction. It's terrible. Well, I think they now have non-alcoholics. They what? Don't they do non-alcoholics? Not usually, unless maybe some, uh, someone has diabetes or something like that. But uh, it's usually, it's, it's, the, it's the best wine in the world, <laughs> according to them, yes. Oh, interesting. Well, th thank God they gave you uh, an uh, a choice there, but I, I've never heard that one. <laughs> yeah, 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 interesting. Yes. Back to the force thing. Yes. What God does not force is choice. Right. Ananias and Sapphira were given plenty of opportunity to become clean. Yes, they could, yes. Yeah. Free yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, God that's is true. Coerce them into making a different choice. Right. Fact, he, yeah. they, they asked him a question first. Did right. You not yeah. right. That was an Even then, yes. Right now, right there. Yeah. If they had confessed, they. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's one area God will never, uh, never cross. That's the liberty of conscience. He allows us uh, to. Moses, when he was turning, returning to Egypt, and the Bible says that the Lord is going to kill him. Yes, okay. Yeah. That was a warning. <laughs> but why But why would God say something like that? Did, no, did Moses know better? He did. He did. So he just telling him you're going to have a judgment of death if you don't. Yeah. Well, uh, when he was giving, uh, when, the, when the circumcision was first given to uh, Abraham, there was a death penalty attached to it if they didn't yeah. do it. And so Moses, evidently, Moses, um, in Patriarchs and Prophets, where Ellen White gives an indication of this, um, in fact, she spells it out, that uh, Moses had circumcised the oldest boy. They were two, son, two sons. And his wife, evidently, was very tender-hearted. And so she convinced them that he ought not to do it to the second one. <laughs> and so, because she knew exactly what the problem was, as soon as it looked like Moses was going to die, she circumcised, she got a rock and circumcised that second boy. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, she knew exactly what the problem was. She was angry, too. <laughs> yes, yeah. But she, it, was more, it was more for the wife. I mean, Moses knew, but I yeah. think she needed to be, you know, that God was working on her heart to change her 
Oh, that's, so yeah, yeah. It was, it was <clears throat> certainly for her benefit because, like you said, she knew. And, yeah. but she, you know, as she just, as a mom, she, you know, yeah. had a tender heart there. Yeah, right, yeah. Things like that. But, yeah. but God, but God reached her heart. Yeah. But one of the things with Moses, see, when he, he, God had directed him to go back to Egypt and bring the children out, and he could not be in violation of anything they knew. That doesn't mean he was sinless, but he, uh, there were things that he knew, and that was one of the things he knew, and he, he put it off <laughs> until that day. And then she said, uh, I've been redeemed by the blood, uh, uh, blood-bought uh, husband. And, uh, and doesn't Ellen White say at, at that same point in that she makes a reference to the time of the end for the people of God at the time of the end, that that has uh, a correlation with us at the end of time, that we cannot dally with any yeah. That we know, yes. Uh-huh. That we know that we need yeah. to be, you know, we need to get rid of it now in our lives and not. Yeah, by God's, by God's grace. Yeah, he, he always gives grace. If he gives, if he gives a command, that command itself is a promise. The grace of God is in, involved in, in that, yeah. Alrighty, shall we move on? Uh, <clears throat> chapter 3. He was uh, convicted, uh, 24 through uh, uh, 28, where... Um, after was all, that's when we already mentioned that. It says he was astonished as he saw these men standing there alive. And um, verse 5, look, he says, I see four men loose. <laughs> he was completely uh, convicted that uh, he had done something wrong. <clears throat> and then he imagines that he can protect God. That's in verse 29 where he said, uh, Therefore I make a decree that any people, nation, or language which speaks anything amiss against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut in pieces. <laughs> so here, the same principle was operating, only now it's for God. <laughs> uh, as though God could not uh, take care of uh, the situation. There's <laughs> a starting point, but that's about all. Well, this is where he was, he was convicted. And what we see is a process, chapter after chapter, over the years, God was working on this man. Well, it's faith by works, too. He was yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And here, <clears throat> so, Nebuchadnezzar's sanity, uh, sanity was to uh, leave him. This is in chapter 4. Uh, he would become demented. He would live among animals. He would have no more mental ability than the animals that he was grazing with. Um, <clears throat> and this was the warning that God gave him uh, what happened here. The condition would continue for an extended period. In verse 12 of chapter 4, God gave Nebuchadnezzar a period of grace for an opportunity to turn to God in repentance. And this is what all judgment comes, uh, whether it's a rebuke or judgment itself. It's, it's a call to repentance, to turn back to God, turn away from us. Now, repentance, repentance uh, operates uh, not only in uh, turning away from sin, if we have sinned, but repentance also is a turning away from temptations in our mind. And uh, <clears throat> that would have come first to Nebuchadnezzar. And then secondly, uh, <clears throat> the, uh, the other. The Lord said, if you, if you stop what you're doing, if you're converted, uh, he would have saved him from the, that mental disability, I'm sure. But uh, he didn't, uh, didn't listen. He may have listened for a while. But uh, within a year's time, he, he uh, turned away completely. In verse 37, maybe we can read that. Uh, the verbs are very interesting in uh, here, where uh, that's in chapter 4. And 
where um, it says, uh, where are we at here? Yeah. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the God of heaven, all of whose works are truth and his ways justice. And those who walk in pride, he is able to abase. <laughs> this is a testimony of justification by faith. God lays the glory of man in the dust and then does for him what he cannot do for himself. Yes, yeah, right, you're right. It took a long time. But anyhow, those words, they're uh, three verbs, they're participles, and it me means continuous. And so praise, honor, and, and uh, um, praise, oh, extol and honor indicate continued actions, suggesting that Nebuchadnezzar did these things habitually after this. And so it looks like he's going to be in heaven. He's finally converted. We don't hear any more about him after this. But it ends on a good note. Um, <clears throat> Okay, yeah, the verbs embody the ideas of reverence, respect, honor, admiration, and worship. Worship of the true God of heaven. <clears throat> um, chapter 4, and that kind of introduction to it. Uh, his, uh, this, is, this is how it starts out. Now remember, <clears throat> this was not inspired, it was inspired by God, but it was, uh, Daniel was not inspired with this. The king was inspired. This was his testimony. It was a public testimony to the entire Babylonian empire. And he starts out uh, <clears throat> this. It's almost like a um, salutation that Paul would write in the New Testament. He says, Nebuchadnezzar, the king, to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell on the earth, peace be multiplied unto you. Doesn't that sound like Paul? Yeah. I thought it good to declare the signs and wonders that the Most High God has worked for me how great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and his dominion is from generation to generation. This was one of the things he had to learn. He said, I'm the one. <laughs> and uh, <clears throat> when he finally learned that, <clears throat> this is his conversion experience. If you're relating his conversion experience, Daniel took this out of the public domain <laughs> and put it in the Bible. But God gave it to uh, the experience of Nebuchadnezzar, and he wrote it out. This is his testimony. And uh, <clears throat> um, the dream was interpreted. Uh, remember, again, the wise men, now he didn't put them to death. They came to him. He called them in. He said, I've had this dream of a tree. So he saw the dream, but he didn't understand it. Now, in chapter 2, God didn't allow them, uh, him to even understand what the dream was about. He called the men in. He said, tell me what the dream is. Tell me what it means. Here, he said, I've seen this dream, but I don't understand it. Tell me what it is. The wise men could still could not uh, tell him what, uh, what the dream was about, or what this dream meant. And so then he called Daniel in. And uh, <clears throat> uh, actually, verse, where is it where he says, uh, um, verse 8, at last Daniel came in. Oh, yeah. And he says, according to the name of my God. He says, Belteshazzar, according to the name of my God. In him is the spirit of the holy God. I told the dream before him, saying, Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians, because I know that the spirit of the holy God is in you, and no secret troubles you, or no mystery. Explain to me the visions of my dream that I've seen and its interpretation. Was Daniel ready to give him the interpretation? Do you remember in reading this? He was reticent. In fact, he might have been, there might have been a tremor that passed through his body <laughs> because he saw the awfulness of it. And the king said, don't worry, you tell me what it's about, <laughs> and which he finally did. 
And uh, so he, that was the warning and, and reception, verse uh, 27 through uh, 30. Well, you mentioned give me some time. Give me some time so I can consult my Well, that was in chapter 2. Yeah, yeah what but, I'm saying yeah. is Yeah, but that was in chapter 2, not here. Yeah. yeah. In verse uh, 27, he says, Therefore, God, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by righteousness or being righteous. This, was the, this would be the behavior that comes from righteousness by faith. And your iniquities by showing mercy to the poor. Perhaps there may be a lengthening of your prosperity or tranquility. And... Uh, and all this came up uh, upon uh, King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of the 12 months, he was walking about the royal palace of, the, of Babylon. The king spoke and said, Is not this great Babylon that I have built for a royal dwelling by my mighty power and for the honor of my majesty? And while he was speaking, the next verse says, While he was speaking, everything went from him. Amazing. Um, that, well, there was a word from, from God himself. And I believe this was the the um, watcher, the holy watcher. Um, he said, the kingdom of, of uh, your kingdom has departed from you and they shall drive you from men and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. They shall make you eat grass like an oxen. Seven times will pass over you until you know that the most high rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to whomever he chooses. And this is what he stated in his uh, introduction that God rules from, uh, uh, from generation to generation. And uh, <clears throat> he, he finally uh, learned his uh, lesson. And then yeah, 31 to 33, <clears throat> where, he, uh, <clears throat> where he lost his mind, uh, the very hour the word was fulfilled concerning Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from uh, man. He had hair that grew like eagle's feathers, his nails like bird's claws. At the end of the time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, I lifted my eyes to heaven and my understanding returned to me and I blessed the Most High, praised and honored him who lives forever. His dominion is an everlasting dominion. His kingdom is from generation to generation. This was one of the main lessons he needed to learn. He was not the only man in the universe. Um, and so the result of accepting the mind of Christ, 34 through 37, where, uh, <clears throat> let's drop down to verse 36 when it, uh, he says, At the same time, my reason returned to me, and for the glory of my kingdom, my honor and splendor returned to me. My counselors and nobles resorted to me. I was restored to my kingdom, and excellency, the excellent majesty was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven, all of whose works are truth, his ways justice, and those who walk in pride, he is able to abase. No threat of worship here. <laughs> he was a true worshiper. He didn't say everybody has to worship the God of the heaven as I do. He was totally converted at this point in time. And, but it took a long time for this to happen. <clears throat> but this is the result of accepting the mind of Jesus. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. So here he was converted finally. And whoops. Yeah, converted uh, at that point in time. And then <clears throat> we started out with this one early. What is justification by faith? It is the work of God in laying the glory of man in the dust. Maybe we could put it. Uh, it is the work of God in laying the glory of Nebuchadnezzar in the dust and doing for him that which it was not in his power to do for himself. 
And that does, that same thing happens with us. When we're justified by faith in Jesus Christ, it's something that God does. We, re, we accept it, we respond to it, and then our behavior changes. But if God does not work, work in us, even to give us the faith, we are not justified. But the faith of Jesus is given to us, and, uh, and that's, uh, that's the method by which we are justified, <clears throat> or the method. Here's an old, this is an old picture. Uh, I don't remember where I even got that one, but it's, uh, it was probably in the 1880s or so. Here's one that I, I saw. This is in the uh, Berlin Museum with the Babylonian runes there. They had this one there, and I thought, man, that's quite a picture of Nebuchadnezzar. And uh, <clears throat> now, what, can, uh, what unconverted person uh, likes to have his glory laid in the dust? <laughs> we rise up again. It doesn't mean male or female, child. We rise up against God until... What? My way or the highway, yes, exactly. And, uh, and aren't you thankful God does not give up on us? Yeah, yeah absolutely, yeah. Yes? To me, that story just really speaks of God's patience. Yes. Yeah. Being a seeking Savior. Yes. Yes. He will not let us go. Yes. He loves us too much. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Yeah. And that's it. This also, is. Spouse teaches, uh, I mean, Nebuchadnezzar's sins were great. He was a tyrant. Yeah. And so God's forgiving all people's walk of life. You know, right. Yeah. Where yeah. And we should do the same. And we do the same. What do you mean, do the same? We should be the same way. Okay. Toward yes. Other Toward other people. Yes. 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 If, if, if yeah. Christ is in us, we will be. As we let him in there, yeah. Way, he's yeah. Change. Yeah. I, uh, as far as being, you know, like, he, he was enraged much, much of the time. How's our time, by the way? I need to. Five minutes, yeah. Uh, <clears throat> when I was a kid, I used to cultivate uh, anger. I loved to be angry. And I remember there was a Frenchman that he and I were pretty close friends. His dad had bought a brand new <clears throat> pickup truck. <clears throat> I remember we were sitting outside of, um, on a hillside, I guess it was, and he, he told me, he said, uh, he said, Jerry, and he was pretty violent himself. He said, Jerry, I'm going to start curbing my temper. It's just too bad. I didn't say a word. I thought, you go ahead. I'm going to cultivate mine. <laughs> And I did. Uh, I became a raving maniac. You know? uh, it was terrible. And I remember, I, I was even after I became an Adventist, I had I struggled with that. Anyone, I I would, uh, if someone would ask me to do something, this is before I was a, a converted. If someone would ask me to do something, I would turn the world upside down to do it if I could. But if they commanded me, no. <laughs> I remember I was driving. I used to drive off the highway equipment. And the for, one of the foremen, I think he was a major foreman, he was coming to chew me out. And I reached down in my long side of my seat. I had a, an iron bar about that long. Had he come up and tried to get in that cab, he would have been, uh, he wouldn't have made it. <laughs> but I was just, it was the violence that I had. I was so angry, even after I accepted Christ. Well, I'm not going to go into all the details. <laughs> I would be so angry. I wanted, I'll I wanted to fist fight Christ. This was after I became a, and I believe I was in the process of conversion. If there would be people in the room, or sometimes when I was alone, this thought would come to me, you're going to let Christ rule you. And I would just, I was just in anger. And if people were in the room, I would make a beeline to the restroom and knelt down, kneel down and say, oh God, take this from me. Over and over and over again. And 
But the two people, well, Nebuchadnezzar would have one of them, but there were two men that were my models, or they, I would go to God with them. You remember the two men he called sons of thunder? <laughs> John and James. Now, they were longshoremen as long as fishermen. They were tough nuts. There's no doubt about it. And, but God made John, what did he call him? Yeah, an apostle of, of love. And I would say, God, if you can do it for them, you can do it for me. <laughs> over and over. It took a long time. And I still, I still have a fuse. It's short. But God is able to <laughs> clip, it off, clip it off before it explodes uh, sometimes. But, uh, but uh, it's, uh, it's terrible. So I can, I can empathize with uh, Nebuchadnezzar and those, those other two. Um, but, uh, so justification by faith in Christ alone brings conflict to the mind of men and women. That's where conflict comes, when Christ comes in. It brings controversy to the conscience of man, and, but it's to set us free. But we don't realize that it's, uh, uh, sometimes we think like Jacob, that an enemy has come. <laughs> but God is simply coming to us to change us and to set us free. So God set up his kingdom in the heart of Nebuchadnezzar. And uh, the power that previously diverted the three Hebrews from the fiery furnace then worked in the king to deliver him from the intoxicating violence of his own passions. And he does that for us too. Um, the power of an endless life compelled the king and he could not contain himself. He had to share with others his experience in salvation. <clears throat> and it's this kind of testimony that carries with it the power of God. Uh, in giving this kind of testimony, the same power is manifested as when the person was first converted. That's one of the powers of, of sharing our testimony with someone else. Because the Holy Spirit is there. If he's giving you an experience and me, as we share it with someone else, that same power is there to work in the life of another person. It's, it's tremendous. The Spirit of God, the Spirit of the gods, uh, the Spirit of the Holy God uh, that worked with Daniel uh, will work with us. And um, yeah, same idea. Uh, this is the kind of testimony, uh, the, the gospel in concrete form. It requires no, or how much theological training does it take to proclaim this? None, None whatsoever, yeah. I just have a point that hit me off. I noticed even when Nebuchadnezzar was a general, that Christ called him my servant when he went uh, Oh, yes. It is, yes. And it's funny how, you know, uh, I don't use the word funny, but it's no. amazing that Christ... Christ claimed in that. Yes. Uh, and, you know, I can, see, I can see him, how he claims us, even in our work condition. Yes, yeah. Before yeah. we even know it, you know. Yeah, that's right, yeah. Uh, Habakkuk talks about, uh, the, the, the prophet was a little bit angry because he said, God, why are you allowing these people who are worse than the children of Israel to take them captive? <laughs> the main difference was the Israelites knew better the Babylonians knew a certain amount, but they were held accountable only for that which they knew. They were terribly, uh, uh, terrible people, but they didn't have the full understanding about God or about the principles of uh, righteousness. And so God sent the Babylon sent the His people into the um, into captivity with the, with the Babylonians to teach teach them a lesson. They were already imbibing the uh, Babylonian principles. Yeah, absolutely. They, yes, they should have gone out. And another thing, what? The whole story of Hezekiah. Yes, Hezekiah. Hezekiah. 
had a tremendous opportunity to share the gospel. Uh, you remember, uh, the, they had been marching back and forth uh, past Jerusalem. They, didn't, they, were, uh, they were going uh, battling with the Egyptians, and that war had raged back and forth for a long time. But when, when the, the Babylonians, and they were scientists as well as, uh, they were astrologers as well as, uh, they were astronomers as well as astrologers. And as they were watching the heavens and they said some, something had happened, the sun had, uh, you know, the, 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 the dial had uh, reversed itself. And they said, what's going on? So they started asking questions of what had happened. That's when they heard something happened in, uh, in Israel, in Ju Jerusalem. So they stopped to hear the gospel, the soldiers. <laughs> They stopped to hear the gospel, and Hezekiah said, come into my treasure house. <laughs> I'm going to show you all the gold. Those eyes got big, and in time, they, that's one of the reasons they went uh, to capture the, uh, Jerusalem was because of all the gold. This would, this would uh, give them their military uh, finances, you know, and, and they, they, they did it. But uh, what an opportunity Hezekiah had at that time to but, preach but the gospel. Yeah. Nebuchadnezzar. Yes. All of that had to have had an effect on the Babylonians. Yes, I'm sure. Yeah. And we're yeah. just not told. Right. We, we, yeah. Heaven is going to be wonderful <laughs> to see these things, how they played out. But I would say the testimony of Nebuchadnezzar, it went to the whole world as a public endorsement of God. Yes. Well, it shows that um, what three, four men could do. Yes. The um, ministry that they did in Babylon, what? the nation of Israel could have done. Yes, so, that's right. If they had done what mm. these four did. Yes, that's right. Yeah, exactly. Well, I think, um, well, one, one more thought here. <clears throat> this is the witness that the, the world of Babylonians still needs, longs to hear. <clears throat> and uh, um, so the, uh, he has a tree dream. Uh, we, we're not going to get into this now, but uh, uh, by the way, I got this picture. Uh, I got several of them from a lady I, I met. Uh, she was um, a first-day Adventist. Their group had come out of the 1844 movement, <clears throat> and they believed almost the same as we do. The difference was the sanctuary message. She had no knowledge of the sanctuary at all. But she had these pictures. She had uh, hand-drawn pictures of, uh, in, of Daniel, especially Daniel, Summer Revelation. And I got copies of them. <laughs> this was several years ago. But this is one of them that struck me, uh, of uh, <clears throat> how close they were to us in that. But, but anyhow, we won't go into the interpretation. You're, you're familiar with that. But we've looked at some of the principles involved in the um, conversion of Nebuchadnezzar. And he's still in the business. God is still in the business of converting. Thank you. And he's in the he's got the patience of uh, working with us as well as other people. So I think we'll close with that. Gracious Father, we thank you so much for your patience with us individually. And we know that you'll never give up on us, and I pray that we will not give up on you. Give us the faith of Jesus, the faith that believes not only in the absence of feelings, but against them. We thank you in his name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.